podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, so we've got Rob, Rob Sutherland here. He's the editor of Five Year Plan Fanzine, a Crystal Palace fanzine. And the reason we've got him on today is you may have all seen um, some stories in the press about A, Crystal Palace fans uh, having difficulty getting into the game at Brighton and the way they were policed. And plenty of stories about the treatment, about sort of being kettled back to the station, people with tickets not getting into the ground. Um, and then Sussex Police, it appears, decided to embellish this story a little and started talking about machetes and knives. Now, Rob, this is where uh, yourself and, and the five-year plan fanzine comes in. Uh, tell us a little bit how you, you, you all got involved and, and eventually it leads to a, a, a turnaround, a U-turn from the police who admit there, there were no machetes and there were no knives. Correct. So it was just just to clarify, it was uh, it was knives and knuckle dusters. Oh, knuckle dusters. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, it's fine. Equally as equally as mad to be fair. It yeah. just seems like such a random thing for people, for football fans, to be carrying nowadays. Maybe in the eighties they might have done, but I don't think that happens nowadays. But yeah, so so basically, um, there, there's been a general kind of discomfort among Palace fans about how. Uh, everything went down on that Tuesday um, in terms of just how everything was policed. It ended up with uh, 150 to 200 Palace fans being locked outside the stadium. Um, they were then accused in part of not having tickets. In part of, the, the, the run into the story was essentially that, that a number of Crystal Palace fans broke into the stadium um, through, through what appears to be an emergency exit. Um, that was open from the inside. And as a result, Brighton and the police decided not to let any, any more fans into the stadium. So as a result, there were 200 fans that were left outside. In the aftermath of that happening, Brighton released a statement that indicated there were ticketless fans who entered the stadium. And then the police released a similar statement, but indicating that there were weapons that were found, uh, being uh, knuckle dusters and knives. Um, and uh, that these were these were found discarded inside the stadium. Um, so the thing the thing that that, that you know that we didn't want to question it immediately because it's one of those things where ultimately you let the police do their due diligence, and at some point in the, the aftermath of that, you would expect them to provide some kind of evidence to support that statement, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, and so we left it about a week. And nothing came out. So um, we then we were then publishing our latest issue of the fanzine, and uh, we got a response from a Brighton fan taking issue with one of the comments on the front cover, which indicated that, uh, they, that you know that the police had mismanaged the incident, and they complained. They said that you know why are we still peddling this line, uh, which then annoyed me to the point where I decided to take it up with Sussex Police and say where are these where is the evidence of this this activity, um, you know, where is, where is the evidence of these weapons that were supposedly found? Um, we then found uh, that the process was then that we found uh, Chief Inspector Nelson, who was the, the person to whom this, this statement was attributed on Twitter. And again, I asked him, um, when, when are we likely to find, you know, to, to see the evidence of this criminal activity? Um, you know, either photographic evidence or CCTV footage would be ideal so that we can then, you know, so that we can be, so we can have a clarification of exactly what's going on. And, and to be perfectly honest, if they'd have come back and said, here's the evidence, 
at that point, we would have gone into it and said that Palestinians need to work together to try and prevent these kind of things from happening again. Yeah. You know, ultimately, we don't want people like that amongst our support. His response then was that we should contact Brighton Hove Albion um, for the evidence, which just did not make any sense whatsoever. Um, and that, at that point, we then contacted Brighton and Brighton said, we don't actually have any evidence of this. Um, and uh, it was then also that um, the Guardian journalist Don Fifield and the independent uh, sports editor uh, Ed Malian uh, case, um, and they both uh, made inquiries initially with Sussex Police and then also with uh, with Brighton about this. And initially, Sussex Police actually responded to Ed Malian and indicated that they did have evidence, uh, that they did have the weapons in their possession, but that they wouldn't be providing any evidence, any photographic evidence or any proof of that. Of that. Um, so at that point, we then decided we would submit a freedom of information request. Um, and we've actually submitted a subsequent one um, more recently uh, on the basis that we want to understand, we wanted to understand the truth of the matter. We wanted to understand exactly what it is that the police had evidence of, um, and also essentially how they got to that conclusion. Um, anyway, within about five hours uh, of, of the initial tweet and the, the, the request going in, uh, we then got the statement from Sussex Police, which indicated that they had actually, that this information had been taken essentially at face value in good faith. Um, <laughs> and uh, that it was incorrect, that they didn't have any weapons, which is, which is when we then decided to submit a follow-up in Freedom of Information um, Act request to try and understand some of the process behind that. Um, so you can kind of get, you get a good idea of, of exactly how this came about. We, Palace fans, did behave badly on, that, on the night. A number of them did. They broke into the stadium they shouldn't have done. They took flares in, they lit them, they shouldn't have done that. Um, but to then turn that into something which had far more sinister undertones uh, was far too, we couldn't let them get away with that without it being challenged. And as a result of us challenging it, the police have now retracted that element. Even, even the statement that they, that. Le- that they later released, though, is almost worrying in itself, isn't it? In that, in that they say, you know, the, the information regarding discarded weapons and pyro in the away end was passed to us and believed to be true. I mean... You'd, you'd think that you'd think there, sh- there should be a little bit more due diligence around basically tarring tarring the reputation of a yeah. group of supporters before you're putting it out to press saying this is what you know this is what happened. Absolutely, and and it leaves a lot of questions. Uh, one of them, a number of those are: um, is this how the police would take would handle um, you know reports of criminal activity uh, on a regular basis? As in, are they just going to say, okay, we, uh, we believe that these people had weapons, but, we're th- but all we're going to do is make a note of it and not investigate it. That's the first thing, which is essentially what they've suggested, that someone passed them information that they had been knives and knuckle dusters and that rather than actually deal with that as a criminal activity, they just decided to take a note of it and then put that in a public statement, which um, implicated pretty much all Crystal Palace fans, because it's yeah. not specific about who would have actually carried those weapons in. Um, the other question then is, once they, were, once they got that, that, that information, why is it that they decided to put that in a statement without actually knowing for a fact that they actually had those weapons 
and that those weapons even existed. Um, because that, that leaves a lot of questions about the integrity of the police in that regard. You know, you, 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 uh, in fairness to, to, to journalism, uh, to the journalists that, that, that reported this story, it went into a lot of newspapers about how Crystal Palace fans... I mean, the Daily Mail went in full blast with a story about how Crystal Palace fans were tooled up and, and it was a, a return to the dark ages of football, which I think, uh, to be perfectly honest, our media has this obsession with going back to the dark ages of football <laughs> yeah. because that's really what they'd like to happen. <laughs> You know, they want to report about these awful things that are going on at football stadiums because, to be perfectly honest, if you go to the ground nowadays, the, the experience is so sanitised that it's, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's very, very difficult to understand. So, so... But the, ir- the irony there, Rob, the irony there, Rob, as well, is from a football fan's perspective, when we're talking about dark days of football, well, fans can point back at the police and say, well, there's quite a significant um, you know, incident in history of football when misinformation oh, about yeah. football fans was passed around by the police. So, you know, if we're talking yeah. about dark days of football, you know, shouldn't we in 2017 be moving away from where senior police officers are happy to, as I say before, you know, just tar the image of a of a club support? Of course, and this is this is really almost like um, this is the in the digital age. This is a case of a police officer removing his badge number and basically making up a load of crap about about fans, um, and then expecting to kind of get away with it by just apologising. But really, I think that's why our freedom of information request is so important, because it's not just about apologising. It's about ensuring that this doesn't happen again. And it yeah. shouldn't be, you know, that, 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 that should not be the standard that, that any kind of police force should be hold, held to. You know, we expect, as, as football fans, we have our own standards. I mean, I, I personally think it was disgusting what, our, what, what those that minority of supporters did, which is essentially what they are. They were, I don't know exactly how many there were involved. Some reports suggest it was more than 100, but I, I, I can't imagine it was that many fans that actually charged into the stadium. Um, but equally, the police is supposed to be, the police force is supposed to be held to a higher standard because they're the ones that are, are enforcing the rules. So when, the, when, when you know, it, it brings back the argument of who watches the watchmen. And in this case, the people that were responsible for ensuring the safety of us, of, of us as football fans, but also the safety of, of the general public, came out with a statement that basically just was was a fabrication. Yeah, I mean, what um, what, what it feels I mean, like is a, not just fabrication, but justification because. What what hasn't happened here, and what we you know we've had senior police officers on this show, and we've talked about the police and the football fans. And one of the things that it was Chief Superintendent Owen West said from the um, West Yorkshire Force, he said, you know, what he's trying to get police to do more often is concentrate on the troublemakers and police them in a certain way, but don't police everyone in the same way. And this this, this seems to be what what's happened on this this occasion. You you know you're putting your hands up there and say some of our supporters misbehaved on that night we condemn them but just because that happened that that then shouldn't mean that hundreds of other supporters are treated in a certain way because of that exactly and it also changes the public perception and and, and i kind of see why it wasn't challenged um originally because there is this kind of idea that football fans are um are, are scum which is crazy but it's it's kind of a peddled idea that that by being a football fan, you are automatically expected to be treated differently from a member of the general public. You know, 
whether you're wearing a, a scarf or whether you're wearing a shirt or whether you're wearing a jacket that's cut, you know, a black jacket or whatever, you're, you're ultimately expected, you know, to be treated somewhat differently. But it just doesn't help the case for, for football supporters uh, when, when they're all tarred with the same brush. Yeah. And when you, when you come out with a statement that says knives and knuckle dusters, you're really doing the majority, 99% of football fans, a massive disfavour. You know, you're, you're talking about Crystal Palace fans ultimately entering the stadium at Brighton with, with, with weapons that are intended to do harm to other people. And, and that is a real, that's a smear. That's a real smear because that makes, that, that could be me that they're accusing. That could be one of the guys that ran in. They didn't make it clear. And, and it, because, it was such a, because it was such an open and broad statement, that was the other problem. It, it was very... It was very vague in, in terms of exactly who they thought might have had those weapons. Well, I mean, well, thanks for speaking to us on this, Rob, and, and well done to yourself and your fanzine for, for challenging this and for getting it out there and getting it overturned and, and hopefully making people realise that, you know, all football fans aren't the same and don't deserve to be treated in that manner and don't deserve to have the, the, reputation, the reputation tarnished. I mean, I think what you've, what you've achieved there is something else we've talked about on these shows is that football fans obviously now have it in their power to, to challenge this behaviour. It's much easier now with social media, with the fact that everyone's got cameras and video phones in the pocket and with the fact that you've got yeah. things like you know the football supporters federation as well who are, who are on our side as fans so brilliant rob and um, yeah. th- thanks very much for speaking to us today yeah really appreciate it We're, we'll, we'll be publishing more stuff once the freedom of information request comes back uh, and you probably if it's any good you'll probably see some of it in the national newspapers as well but we'll see how that goes brilliant good luck with that rob all right cheers yeah thanks a lot cheers have a good one Okay, so on the same story, we're joined by Amanda Jacks now. You should know who she is by now if you've been listening regularly to the Anfield app. But she is a caseworker for the Football Supporters Federation. So, Amanda, we just spoke to Rod Sutherland there from uh, the five-year plan fanzine. He told us all about uh, how the... He, he, he put the freedom of information request in how Sussex Police uh, did the huge U-turn on claiming that fans had knives and knuckle dusters uh, on them down at Brighton for the, for this game. I mean, I wanted to t- take a, a slightly different tack with yourself. I mean, I know a lot of supporters got in touch with you after this game. I could see that from your Twitter and we spoke since. But also as well, I mean... It's the way the media treated this, isn't it? I mean, Rob touched on it, but you had the likes of the Daily Mail, which will come as no surprise to a lot of people, but, you know, talking about, again, dark days of football, thugs, and, you know, using all the, the loaded language around football fans. And yet when we, when we have the U-turn, you know, that is a story in itself, obviously, but it's not one that seems to be given quite the same magnitude. It's still sort of used in a certain way. I mean, pictures of fans with, with pyro and flares and, and almost like, well, okay, yeah, this time maybe, but look, these boys still mess around when they go to football matches. That kind of vibe. Very much so. Um, I mean, obviously, I'd like to pay full credit to Robert, the five-year plan for what he did. I thought that was an amazing piece of journalism. And as I tweeted, you know, it really did put the mainstream media to shame because they, as we all know, just took the police statement and repeated it verbatim. And nobody really stopped to think, well, hang on a minute. Football fans don't really use knives. 
they don't really use duckle dusters, isn't there just something a little bit odd about this statement? So, um, as, as, again, as you rightly point out, it then became a story in itself that um, Five Year Plan managed to ascertain very quickly, I should say, that um, Sussex police were, shall we say, at best mistaken. But even, you know, where, where, even when the media ran with that story to say that Sussex police had got it very, very, very badly wrong, I don't know whether you noticed the pictures they used to illustrate the stories. Um, most of the media still use pictures of supporters, you know, a couple with their faces covered up with their scarves or whatever, holding pyro. And I just thought they can't quite let go, can they? They can't just illustrate the story with pictures of the police or pictures of the fans held outside. It's almost as if they're saying, all right, football fans, um, one nil to you. But look, you are still very naughty boys. So we are going to put this picture alongside our story to reinforce that fact. Yeah, it does feel that way, doesn't it? I mean, and you know, there was a column at the weekend in the Observer, which is you know sort of all well and good, but it sort of almost feels a bit like you know the horse has already bolted on this one, and and you know coming later saying okay, well, you know there should be demands on how this happened at the police and everything else. But yeah, but you know, as you say, no one questioned that at the time, and also when it was initially reported, it just wasn't given the same gravitas as as the previous story. It was, you know, it wasn't deemed sexy in in the various tabloid newspaper <laughs> newsrooms around the country. No, it wasn't, and it was still reported in the back pages as opposed to the front pages. Whereas to me, it's a news story. It's not a football story. It is a news story. And the fact is, as you know, stating the blindingly obvious, they, Sussex Police put something very damaging into the public domain that was repeated without question. And I went on, I think it was BBC Radio Sussex, and I said, you know, <coughs> pretty much now. And the presenter turned around and said, but Amanda, the statement came from the police. OK, are we North Korea? Do we take... <laughs> everything the police say without questioning it and I think you know that this is a theme I've been banging on about for quite some time now to the point where I'm starting to bore myself so I hope I'm not boring your listeners but I think a lot of the problem we see in football is the lack of scrutiny and I think the lack of scrutiny stems from the lack of real media interest in football fans you know crowd management policing stewarding and i know saying the media is a very sweeping statement and obviously not every single person in the media but i think in the main generally we're not covered unless we kick off and those that do do the good work you know david con and the like we can count them on one hand mm. but i also think it's important amanda that that we, we, we stick up for each other a bit more, and that's why I'm pleased that Gareth wanted to do this, because it's taken up, you know, the, the issues that Palace fans had and, and the football fans, but we don't, we, don't, we don't stick up for each other enough, I don't think, and in fact, quite the opposite in, in many ways, in terms of, because we were, we were down in Brighton the weekend after Palace, and, you know, we were speaking to Brighton fans, and they were like, oh, Palace were bringing knuckle dusters and all that, and, and they were just presuming that everything they'd heard was correct as well, because it's not just, oh, we believe the police, it's, it's wanting to, to think the worst of, of rival fans, and, and that's really disappointing, really, because, you know, we're, we're almost kind of, you know, so kind of biased against, you know, rivals or, or other things that will believe the worst of them, when really we're all, 
you know, we're all the same. We're all, we're all football fans in this country. And and until we can, I think we can learn to kind of stick up for each other a bit more in these situations. Because we had it with Seville, you know, um, when we went to Seville, obviously it was it was, it was was awful out there and how the police were treated. And, and Gareth wrote something and I wrote something for, for different publications. And the responses are always, you know, from, from fans of other clubs, oh, I can't believe you weren't doing anything. Um, and we, we don't even, we're not even able to kind of stick up for each, for each for each other on this really which which I find really disappointing no you're absolutely right um, disappointing and very very depressing and yeah. I got quite quite a few tweets from Brighton fans almost oblivious to what happened you know it, it what happened to those Palace fans you know the crowling um, being kettled outside all the rest of it didn't matter all that mattered to them was that they could rush up to the moral high ground say yeah but look what happened look what happened as, as if that justifies other people being treated really quite abysmally. I mean, things are getting a lot better than they were five, ten years ago, but again, you're spot on. The lack of um, solidarity between sets of supporters is, is harmful, probably just as harmful to some extent as um, the lack of media scrutiny. And I've said for many years now, you know, if football fans banded together, we could be the most powerful consumers in the country yeah. in all sorts of areas. And it, it, it holds us back, you know, this rivalry and the lack of ability to see outside your own club colours absolutely holds us back. Not, not just in areas like ticket pricing, but, um, sorry, areas like policing and stewarding, but ticket pricing uh, and, you know, the things that really do affect all of us. I mean, just to read out the uh, the statement that the police put out, because, you know, it's it's not something you see every day. It's on Sussex Police's website. Um, the, the statement says, apology, headline, apology following Brighton v Palace weapons report. And then it goes on to say, the reference to weapons being found discarded at the stadium following the Brighton v Crystal Palace match on November the 28th was based on information logged by our officers on the night and done so in good faith. Subsequently, it's been established that no such items were physically recovered at the stadium or in the city. We accept that this information was incorrect and the tweet published earlier today, December the 7th, by one of our officers was wrong. Sussex Police apologises to both clubs and their supporters. I mean, you know, we can we, we can be angry, can't we, Amanda, about the fact that it happened in the first place. But I guess some credit is due there to, to the police to, to put that statement out because like, that isn't something you see every day. No, I, again, I'll, I'll keep agreeing with you, but I <laughs> um, um, you're, you're right. And I, I said as much when I gave a quote to the BBC and a couple of other media outlets. The police hardly ever apologise, do they, no. for anything, uh, unless they're absolutely forced to. So, yeah, for them to come out really, really quickly and, and hold their hands up and say they got it wrong. Um, yeah, you know, you, you can't take that away from them. And, and I I'm not... Sorry, go Sorry, on. I, I, I hope it didn't ruin Chief Inspector Simon Nelson's holiday too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, another drum we keep banging as well, Amanda, and, and maybe people get bored of me banging this drum as much as we, are, you know, you saying the same things as well. But we were just saying to Rob as well, you know, really good journalism, as you say, from from him and from his team, our five-year plan, but also a good example as well of how you know in the modern day we can challenge these things, can't we? We don't just have to accept them. I mean, I think you know John mentioned. Some Seville, and one of the things I found depressing about about you know uh, reaction to Seville was well that's just the way it is and it's like well it doesn't have to be like that though you know if we, 
as you as you were saying earlier, there's so many football fans in this country and around the world that if everyone starts shouting up, if everyone starts highlighting when it's wrong, it's very hard for authorities and people in power to ignore this voice, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And again, oh, here we go. Yes, you're right. Um, <laughs> it, it, it is the way it is, but it absolutely, you know, the shrug of the shoulders, it's the way it is. Can, can you imagine, you know, if, I don't know, off the top of my head, a hundred or so years ago, women just shrugged their shoulders and said, oh, well, we can't vote. That's just the way it is. Things never change, do they? And I think a lot of fans have what I call the expect and accept culture. They expect to be treated poorly and they accept it when they do. And, you know, doing what I do, that that is one of the biggest problems, not the policing, not the stewarding, (coughs) but the fact that so many fans are just prepared to be, I don't know, pushed from pillar to post by the police, contained in pubs, whatever, and then they come back and they go on Twitter that they're fuming, but come Monday morning, oh, well, it's over now, I, I can't be bothered to do anything about it, and there is absolute reliance on that. I mean, I'm sure we've all heard clubs say, or the police say, well, we didn't get any complaints. Yeah as if that justifies their operation or their treatment of people. But if people do speak up, then things do change. I mean, I've just literally finished putting together all the emails that I received from the Palace supporters, and that's 98 pages, 41,000 words. Wow. That's quite a lot. Um, And and I've got to administer those, which is absolutely fine. It's, It's what I do. But... To be fair, most games wouldn't generate that, but when they do, people do have to speak up. They do have to get off of Twitter and Facebook and their own fans' forums, and they do have to email me or groups like yourself or the Man United Supporters Trust or um, you know, whoever else out there and make their feelings known and heard because, as you just said, um, we can push now more than ever. Social media helps hugely. So stop shrugging your shoulders when you walk away from a football match and get home and actually just put pen to paper and do something. Well, just to get a little bit of insight into into your job again, Amanda, because it's always really interesting to hear. You know, when you say you've got all that information there and you've just collated it all, you know, what, what are the next steps for you? What, what will you go and do now? Will you go and speak to Brighton, will you? Will you go and speak to Sussex Police again? My um, initial plan was to sit down with Sussex Police and say, look, you know, we've got all these reports, let's go through them together. But some people have raised some really quite serious issues. So Lachlan Parker, the solicitor that looks at civil cases for us, has very kindly agreed to go through the reports and just pull out anything that might merit formal legal action or a more formal complaint. Um, And then obviously it's up to the individual supporters what they want to do next. I might take it to the Chief Constable, um, Police and Crime Commissioner, even the IPCC, because I think that I just did a word search for words such as escort, communication, heavy-handed, pushed, and they all come up in double figures. So I think that hopefully will give you an idea of the sort of Mm. content that people are saying. But ultimately, loads and loads and loads of people left home, left work, expecting to get to a football match, and they didn't get to it. And it's not good enough to say, well, they didn't get to it because a handful of people apparently tried to push the doors or get in or use pyro or whatever. The common themes are they didn't get to it because it would appear that the police just went completely over the top in how they treated the Palace fans. And I think there's a really clear example here of people being policed not on their behaviour, but on their reputation and perhaps fear of what might happen and not what was happening. 
Well, I mean, Amanda, there does seem to me to be a little bit of a direction of travel in terms of, you know, this this stuff is getting highlighted a lot more. And we're obviously talking about it, but it's not just us. That, you know, it, it's in the newspapers now a little bit more. You know, it, it, it might only be certain sort of friendly voices, if that's the right phrase, but I, I think that's better than it was. Uh, we, we'll certainly continue to, to speak to you, Amanda, and, and, and thanks again for today. Thanks again to, to Rob, too. Uh, I think that's been yet another show where it's really interesting for people who do go to football games regularly home and away and and just another little appeal as well to you know if you do see things that you don't think are quite right do shout up do get in touch with Amanda who's on, who's on Twitter and open and available and you know will respond do you get in touch with the Football Supporters Federation feel free to give us a shout and just in general you know I think all of us together as a group of football fans we, we, we can change these things we can, and um, I'd just like to say thank you very much to the Anfield Wrap for their continued interest in, in these sort of issues. It really is much appreciated. Thanks, what a, Amanda. What, what a lovely finish. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.